This is the Do Better Podcast with Dr. Megan Miller and Joe Smith, launching you into the future of behavior analysis. today just with Dr. Megan Miller and a few special guests. So uh, in today's episode, we are reconnecting with Camille Morgan and Melody Sylvain to discuss the election and the debates and try to do a little bit of a behavior analysis on some of the things we're seeing there. This is where we blast off to the final frontier in the search of improving ourselves in the field of behavior analysis. Thank you for spending time with us. Now let us begin. So hello, Camille and Melody. How are you both doing? Hi, I'm doing well. Happy Thursday. Happy Thursday. Is it Friday though? Um, Thursday for me. I feel like it's Friday for you. It's Thursday for me still. So it'll be Friday soon though, right? A few hours. Happy Thursday. (laughs) Happy Friday Eve. (laughs) Yeah. So the debates. Yes, the debates. That's what we're here to talk about today. So we're going to talk about the election, uh, focus on the most recent debates that have been airing uh, and see what observations we've made as behavior analysts. And the way that we're formatting this, we just each are going to take different topics that we kind of thought would be interesting to talk about and uh, see what conversation comes up. Just for the listeners to know, we were sort of chatting ahead of time. Uh, We're trying to have, you know, just sort of a genuine conversation about this. So we don't really have a whole lot of notes that we're referring to or anything besides our questions that we want to discuss with each other. So Melody, do you want to start? Sure. Um, I guess we can start off with the most obvious, well, at least what was most obvious to me from... um, just the way that the interactions were happening. I'm thinking about Joe Biden and um, uh, Donald Trump right now. And the constant bickering, the, you know, interrupting each other. Well, that was in both debates, but the constant interrupting each other, you know, um, telling people to shut up. Um, And so, yeah, to me, it's, one of the first things that I think comes to mind is just like watching these two um, candidates, presidential candidates on stage speaking to each other in this way. And I think about all of the ways that we, um, you know, talk about professionalism and how we should act at work and, you know, um, how we like teach our kids to behave in certain social settings. Um, So that's just embarrassing to me. And um, it seemed like neither 
like they didn't care, especially the president. <laughs> um, and yeah, that, that, that was just my first thought. Um, if anyone else wants to add to that little part. Um, yeah, I just, um, I just feel embarrassed watching that as a, as a person. Um, like, what do you tell your kids, <laughs> you yeah. know? It, it felt literally almost like, like a sibling rivalry or like how um, like me and people debate about like our favorite like college football team or whatever. Like it, it did, nothing about it felt presidential. And I was just like, I mean, I think I was like mortified. <laughs> like I, it, it just didn't really seem like what we were actually watching was a presidential debate because of all of like the entering and like all that stuff and deflecting, we barely got any answers to any of these questions. Right. And it felt to me like both parties kind of went into it knowing that like they were gonna get whatever votes they were gonna get versus like really trying to answer these questions like to try to inform us as voters. It was very odd, very odd. Yeah, the deflecting part is, like, I'm like, you know, it, like, what, in what kind of world can you be asked a question and just flat out refuse to answer a question? Like, that was something else that stood out to me as well. Like, you know, you can't do that in your job. You can't do that in any professional setting. You wouldn't see that at a conference or, you know, uh, you know, somebody giving a presentation and they're asked a question and they just completely disregard a person's question. So it, for me, it makes me um, rethink a lot of how we're trained to behave. And, you know, these like, from a behavioral perspective, you know, we have all of this rule governed behavior that we're supposed to do and ways that we're supposed to act. And um, then when you see this, I guess, kind of like outlier <laughs> of, a, of an example, um, it makes you kind of think, well, do I have to actually follow these rules? Can I be standing up for myself as a professional? Can I not answer a question that I'm not comfortable answering? Um, little things like that were definitely, I think, came to my mind um, for my, from as, as a, from my personal stance anyway and then also just in general like how we're acting as a society and how the other part of that is well maybe the rules just don't apply to some people well not maybe they don't right they definitely don't apply to some people but they apply to everyone else I think that's really interesting Melody when you were talking I wasn't quite sure which way you were going to go with it. So, um, so did you come to a conclusion? Are you, did it help motivate you to maybe stand up more and like speak out more and not answer questions? Or was it more of the conclusion that like, no, actually it's just that those rules don't apply to them. Um, I think both like learning that, you know, you're, because when you're taught a rule, I, I think generally, at least when you're a child or, you know, um, whenever, most of the time you're taught that this is a rule of society, right? Everyone follows this rule. This is the way that you're supposed to behave. And I think that the more 
you live and the more you observe and the more things you see, you start to learn the rules don't apply to everyone. And um, I don't have to abide by these rules either. And I think um, definitely like in the Kamala and um, Joe Biden debate, um, Kamala Harris, I felt like the, the, the amount of times that she had to say, remind him that it was her turn to speak um, was one, very relatable as a black woman. Like I can't count the number of times I've been interrupted in meetings. It just happened to me recently, actually on Zoom. I was in like an I virtual IEP meeting and was getting constantly interrupted so many times. I couldn't even get one word out about my recommendations for this child. And I was just like, the amount of times that we're like put in these situations um, is ridiculous. And then to see that um, even Kamala Harris, a vice presidential candidate, a senator, as a black woman, the rules apply to her, you know, like in, in, that, in, that, in this particular context, at least, right? So what I'm saying is it doesn't matter that she's, you know, holds this quote unquote status, she's still being treated um, as less than. In, in that situation, which is the case for many, many black women, many like uh, black women CEOs. Um, often it doesn't matter, um, you know, what professional status you have, um, you're still not gonna be regarded in the way that you should be. You're still not gonna be seen as professional. You're still not gonna be seen as um, respected. So yeah, that all of that I think was a reminder for me that, you know, whatever context I'm in as a black woman, um, I need to constantly be speaking up and standing up for my for myself. One, because nobody else is gonna do it and no one's going to, I can't expect that I'm just automatically going to be respected in those situations. And on top of that, the rules have been laid out in a way that some people can just not follow them or they are just not even in existence for them at all. So those are my thoughts. Camille, do you want to add like, to that? Yeah, I feel like it was like, first of all, everything that you said was absolutely true. And I agree with that. I feel like it was also a reminder to me that even, even if somebody observes it for themselves, as a Black woman, my experiences will be like completely disregarded, completely gaslit, completely like I will be made to feel crazy for speaking out about my oppression and I think to me like it makes me incredibly just furious because oftentimes the person or the people who are like um completely like gaslighting I think marginalized groups experiences um are usually hold some kind of marginalized identity themselves, be it like white women or be it maybe like, um, I don't know, like lower to middle-class white men or whatever. And you're like, how on earth doesn't your, like doesn't like your experience kind of provide you with some empathy that can like generalize to other marginalized communities. But besides that, like we caught, like this was on camera. <laughs> like We literally saw on camera and, I mean, we all know, especially as behavior analysts, that multiple people can look at the exact same event 
and take different things from it. Like we know that we know that obviously without like an operational definition or whatever that like there can be like room for just people just being subjective, but like, it was just weird almost seeing the internet kind of be in defense of like Mike Pence as he completely like, I mean, literally just deflected, like did not answer like any questions at all or be in, in defense of, you know, like Trump being interrupt, like just interrupting all the time or, or really like going hard on like Biden for having a stutter. Like, and I'm just like, how, like, especially within our community, within our professional community, it wasn't surprising, unfortunately, but it, it was just like, this is it almost acted like to me like a really good example of I think a lot of our lived experiences where you can go to your boss you can go to your supervisor you can tell them like I this happened to me I feel like you know due to like my learning history and just due to the world or whatever like I feel like this means that and it can be just completely denied and unfortunately because of how the game kind of set up Kind of like Melody was saying, like, it's like, if we don't advocate for ourselves, nobody will. But at the same time, it's like, even when we do advocate for ourselves, it's kind of like, okay, well, what what happens now? And I feel like usually nothing happens or we're just made to feel like we're crazy or we're just made to feel like, surely this didn't happen because of this. And that's, it's just, it's very disheartening. Yeah one of the other things I was thinking about in, and obviously this is a debate, which is a very, you know, specific, I think, conversational setting and context, you know, even though they were speaking over the moderator and all of these things like weren't being followed, it is still not, you know, an everyday conversation, but even still um, the fact that Kamala Harris kept saying, I'm speaking, um, I'm thinking about, Black women who have been in conversations, whether it's at work or whatever, myself included, who haven't even felt comfortable to advocate for themselves in that way or just let themselves um, get interrupted, you know, for, for whatever reason. One, you know, the things that we've internalized for, you know, having to deal with this over the course of our lives, two, maybe not even wanting to deal with a potential conflict. Um, so, I mean, there's potential reasons for that, I think, when we think about function, but at least for myself, and I'm sure for other people who have maybe been in been in that situation and have not felt comfortable, might feel like, no, I, I can advocate for myself. Like, I don't have mm -hmm. to accept this. This is this is not a rule that I have that I have to abide by. Um, and then one of the other things that I noticed was um, the like almost uh, like switching people's words around thing that was <laughs> happening. Like at one point um, there was a question asked about COVID and um, I remember Kamala Harris was like accusing the, um, the Trump administration of not giving the information that you know, Americans needed to have, the information was withheld, we could have been so much safer had we had the information earlier. And then when it was Mike Pence's turn to respond, he was basically like, 
Um, you're accusing the the American people of, you know, not doing the best they can or something like that. Um, and I don't know, I just, in terms of function, I was, I was thinking, because there were a couple of times that things like that happened. And when you're in a debate, it's, it's, you know, that's your time. That's, that's how you're going to use your time rather than actually address what was being said, make it appear as if the other person said something that they didn't actually say instead. And then, you know, if people aren't listening or, you know, cooking while they're watching the debate or, you know, this is how people like cut things out, um, then that influences what people think. I think it was another question like that too. Was it like about, it's some word that starts with the F. I don't, I just don't want to make myself seem like super stupid by like butchering whatever this word is but whatever it was she just kept on saying like that's literally like not the truth like that is not the truth and he just kept on like being like okay so for the record I think the same thing happened with like abortion and she's like like that's literally like not what me or Biden said like that's just it's not the truth like it's not it's not the truth and he just kept on like it was almost like this like evil genius I'll tell you like that administration if this is like their goal, if their goal is to cause this kind of like civil, just like unrest, it's effective. Like it's, it, I, I just, he literally, like you said, it was like, they would ask about one thing and then we'd hear about just the good American people and then whatever else he wanted to kind of say. And it was just like, we're not even talking about that right now. And you have to, I feel like I guess black women, like we have to remain diplomatic or else we're immediately going to be seen as aggressive. We're immediately going to be seen as confrontational. And it's like, we deserve to be like, we are in one of the highest like professional debates there is to our country. And like, this is, this is how you act. It's insane. And that's like what everyone was saying about her facial expressions like we were talking about, right? You can't um, present information, you know, you, you can't disagree with someone unless you do it with a smile or you can't criticize someone unless, you know, you're delivering it in a way that is digestible to everyone. Um, and I've never seen, I like just even all the memes that were floating around about, the different faces that she made and how inappropriate they were and all of these things. I'm like, one, like there's no, you know, specific language even that people are discussing or like information or like actionable things that um, would make sense to discuss, right? Um, they're talking about the way that she appears, the way that she like looks, which is uh, just insulting as a woman, as a black person. Um, it's, I've, I've never seen anyone, you know, <laughs> uh, criticize, I think to that level about the faces that they were making in a debate. Um, and I think that's another super relatable experience as a black woman in a professional setting. Um, don't disagree with me. Don't, you know, show any conflict. Don't raise your voice. Don't do anything. Um, 
unless you're going to be smiling and look professional when you do it. Yeah. It's just a lot of pressure. Like it just feels like a lot of pressure and it feels like we're like inevitably like doomed to fail because there's just so many boxes that we have to check. And it's like, like literally every, yeah, yeah. She was so, and I hate to even describe her in this way, but it's like, she was so poised. She was so professional. She literally answered. I mean, I do think both of them kind of deflected a little bit, but she really did. I think she was way more direct. She answered all these questions. She kept her cool, even in the midst of, being like gaslit and lies, even when they were talking about COVID and how the administration, you know, completely dropped the ball <laughs> with COVID and he deflected, like she was just so like spot on and still people only cared about how she looked. <laughs> like, I don't know, it's sad. And I don't like um, for that piece of it, especially when, I mean, Trump makes a lot of facial expressions, like a lot. <laughs> and like, really, when his opponents are talking, very easy to read and on purpose. So I, <laughs> this is like my connection with that. I mean, I'm not a black woman, but I have a face that is expressive. Where, like, so if I'm listening to someone talk about something, I don't even know that my face is talking sometimes, right? Yeah. Like it's making, there's things happening there and then I'll get feedback <laughs> afterwards. Like Megan, you need to calm your face down, right? So like her, I don't know for Kamala, like if that's just her natural way of being, but that's what it seemed like for me. Trump's are intense, like super intentional, like very like huge frowny face or like yeah. um, overly exaggerated, like, did you, is that real? you know, all of that kind of stuff. And the people I saw saying things about facial expressions for Kamala definitely said nothing about Trump. And that's really like, I just think I don't understand. I mean, I do understand from a behavior analytic view, we could talk about that, but it's still also very confusing for me. Mm -hmm. Or it's just I, very telling. <laughs> it's very yeah, telling. It is very, very telling. telling. Um, one of the things that I think is just super interesting, like even like forget your, you know, what political party you're tied to or whatever. Um, at the end of the day, Donald Trump had no experience to be in the position that he's in. Like zero. So, you know, he's a reality star, like, you know, he's got a couple businesses that's pretty much it. <laughs> um, so I just am like, even if you're a Republican, it, I don't know, I almost feel like there's people that are, you know, they just want to follow the status quo, right? Because deep down, I, I, there's people that, you know, know in their heart at the end of the day that this man was not qualified to be a president. He wasn't, mm -hmm. period. We can't be surprised by the decisions that he's made. We can't be surprised by the way that he's presented himself. Um, he he just wasn't qualified. I don't have any other way to put that. Um, and those people, knowing that, will still refuse. Like, what's the function of that, right? Like, um, it's not like he has a hidden resume somewhere that he's not giving us or something. Um, he wasn't, he's not, he wasn't the man for the job. Um, 
So what do you do as a person who identifies maybe as a Republican or whatever, whatever you want to do, right? Like, I'm just going to support this person because that's what I need to do because this is, this is the rule that I've been following for however many years. Um, maybe I'm not, I don't want to criticize him publicly because of negative attention that I would get from, I don't know, peers on social media or whatever it is. Um, so that's, that's what I find really interesting. Um, like no matter who you support, he wasn't qualified for the position and he's made many, many errors that have proved that point. I think that's also super relatable, just bringing it like, even if we like brought that simple fact like down to like our levels when it comes to like our field, um, it just, it, it's almost, or any field really, it's almost kind of like, why on earth do I have to accumulate all this debt, get all these degrees, like pass all of these exams or whatever, if like literally our president had no experience like to hold such an office. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I just, I think people were saying the same thing, was it a few years ago with like Arnold Schwarzenegger with uh, like in California? I don't, I am not in or from California. I don't know like how he actually did. I heard he was a fairly good, I think it was the governor, was it? But even that was just like, I, I think for me, it's just interesting that like some of these things can be attainable without like the resume, especially it's for us, like, I think as black people, period, and I think even as women, period, we're taught we have to be smarter. We have to be, we have to go harder. We have to um, really exude this kind of like super strength or the super intellect or the super whatever, just to get the bare minimum. So the uh -huh. fact that we have a president who, um, at least when it comes to like politics, had none of that all he had was rhetoric that I think, especially for us as people of color, black people in particular, we knew that the country still believed and we knew that would be reinforced and has been reinforced for you. I mean, literally since the beginning of time with this country, all he had to do was spew that kind of hate. And literally like his behaviors just kept on being reinforced and reinforced and reinforced. Meanwhile, we're being like extinguished, extinguished, extinguished for trying to like speak out against it or even like try or like in layman's terms, like punished for like speaking out about it. And it's like, again, it's, it's this huge contrast between like reality and like, I don't even know like what the alternative is. It's, it's something. And there were times where Kamala Harris had to like, kind of list her resume to give herself credibility. Like, you know, talking about her experience as a prosecutor and saying like, you know, well, I've done this and I've done that, you know, I have the experience to therefore talk about X, Y, Z, which how often do white men have to do that? <laughs> like right, just right. by nature of being white, being male, you can say something and it's take for value. Whereas, you know, as 
minorities, you have to go and get on stage and start to kind of make yourself credible as a speaker, um, which I've identified with that. Camille, I'm sure you've identified with that as well. Um, that was just another thought that I had when you were talking. Yeah. One of the things I'm super conflicted about is like, I don't, cause I, I don't want to take away from like the actual people's behaviors, like that were participating in this debate, but I was super, super surprised. And maybe I just need to do more research on like the role of the moderator. I was super surprised at like the roles of the moderators in as far as maintaining some of these behaviors and that like, I'm sure we've all seen like the article that's like went viral of like the behavior analyst doing like a kind of like a mock bit. Um, and so they were talking about like antecedent strategies such as like muting the mics, um, you know, like in between the questions or whatever. Um, but I'm just, I was really interested to see that they could kind of just get away with so much disrespect that again, like in our meetings, at our conferences, and I'm sure this is for any field, we just simply would not be able to do under the sheer guise of professionalism. And like, I, I just, I don't really know, maybe, I don't know if you guys know, like what the role of the moderator was, but to me, I'm like, well, if the moderator is saying like, you know, your time is it, your time is it. I think in the, um, vice presidential debate she kept on saying like you know and you have two minutes uninterrupted like she kept on like I think trying to like antecedently throw that out there but there was no follow-through at all um I, I just I kind of I don't know if you guys know but I kind of wonder what the role of the moderator was and again like not to completely like take away from like the peoples who were actually doing some of this like disgusting behavior but I don't know. It was just weird watching it be like maintained in such a way. I'm pretty sure the I moderators think... are supposed to enforce the rules. That's what they're there for. Yeah. When I think about like, I think that the, you know, things that people have talked about, like muting the mics and stuff. One of the things I was thinking about two minutes is not very long. Yeah. Right? So from like a behavior analytic perspective of this, when they're consistently wanting to talk longer than the time given, yeah. Would it not make more sense to maybe, especially when you're only having two people, like in previous years, there have been multiple, it's not just been the Republicans and the Democrats, they'll have multiple people present. Mm -hmm. it, it's less obviously when you get to the actual election than when you're doing the primaries, but would it not make more sense to maybe cut down the number of topics and give more time for that initial discussion? When I used to do debate, you had nine minutes to give your opening argument right? Yeah. And, and you stood up at a podium and it was very clear that you were the speaker. <laughs> and then when it wasn't your turn, you sat down and there's a time for questions. So like after I would do my nine minute speech, I would get a cross examination from my opponent for two minutes. That was the time or three minutes, depending on what was going on. So there was a lot and there was a lot more clear like roles in that way. And like as a behavior analyst watching this, it's like, could we not just make this environment yeah. like way more clear, like what's happening here and give the allocated time for this discussion? I was thinking that especially for, I mean, really for any of the questions, two minutes is just not a long time at all. But speaking of questions, I was also really intrigued by some of these questions. Um, and I felt like, and, and maybe this is, this is, I think, a part of the point of the debate, they were just these very stereotypical like hot button questions that 
I imagine if like when it came to like money and like sponsorship and, and advertisement and whatever else that, you know, the, the people like the multiple, um, the multiple like channels or whatever that hosted it. I just imagine that they got a ton of money from like viewership because even asking about like, like in the presidential debate, I personally thought it was a joke that these two white men were debating about how they're better at helping the black community. Um, or even with like the vice presidential debate, um, when they were talking about things like abortion, like these very like hot button kind of topics that really, if you know anything about checks and balances, oftentimes these people don't have as much to do with, with these decisions as I think we're made to think. It was just very like, it was odd. And so even that, like, it kind of makes me wonder, like, how the moderator or whoever, like, picked the questions for the moderator to read. And then, yeah, I'm with you. Like, why wasn't it? Why didn't they at least have, like, five minutes? If they didn't use up the whole five minutes, fine. But, like, two minutes is a very, very short time to answer any of these questions. I feel like it's all part of the plan, right? Because if they really wanted people to, like, um, make an informed decision at the voting polls and, you know, feel like they really heard the best of each candidate, they would put all of these rules into place is just my personal opinion. You know, like having people sit down when it's not their turn, um, even in situations where the uh, person is asked to answer a question and they completely disregard the question be, you know, being prompted to actually answer the question, it, you know, as opposed to just having an opportunity to deflect away from it. Um, I mean, you know, maybe that wouldn't be as feasible with the time. I don't know, but there really were no rules. I think we were made to believe that there were rules. The, the role of the moderator was really to just be there and pose the questions, but not really. I mean, maybe on paper, that's her role, but maybe... I don't know what conversations they have before these debates are organized, but clearly it seemed like she had the understanding that I'm not gonna really truly enforce what's happening here. Um, and I think that that's part of the plan. Like they were allowed to talk over each other, interrupt each other, tell each other to shut up and do all of these things with no consequences or no, you know, um, so that those are just my thoughts for that. Um, yeah. I agree. So one of the things I was also thinking about, and I know we were um, we were talking about talking about it, was this whole refusal to denounce white supremacy, which in fact was more than just a refusal to denounce it, but it was quite literally, in my opinion, like sponsoring. Um, a huge white supremacist group. And what I think is interesting is that behavior is exactly what I see a, a lot in um, some of our professional groups in that when asked very straight up, like, help me understand how you support this person. If like, like we wanna talk about like stimulus control and we wanna talk about like pairing and stuff like that, like that, that this person truly represents this. Help me understand like how we work in with, with this demographic. Help me understand how, I don't know, like you, you call me a friend or whatever. And 
and you can't do that exact same thing. Um, and again, with the deflection and with like the the not um, the not answering um, of questions and things like that. Um, I don't know, it just felt like this is another good example of what we see in our professional settings. Um, and yeah, I just kind of want to see like, what did you guys kind of think about that? Well, they both did it. So I remember like Donald Trump very clearly refused to um, denounce white supremacy. At one point he was like, well, uh, I, I I remember at one point Joe Biden being like, um, well, do it then. Like, then go ahead and say it. And then um, I think the moderator said so as well. And he was like, well, what do you want me to call them? Like, kind of yeah. like. <laughs> you can um, say anything you want. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And then in my, um, the vice presidential debate, there was a question about Breonna Taylor and whether or not they thought justice was served. And he said something that was very like all lives matter -y. Like he was like- um, He was like, well, I'm so sorry for her family, but- yeah. yeah. And then he was like, any American citizen, we're really sad about it. Um, yeah. But he was like, you know, um, what did he say? Then he's like, I can't believe like as a former prosecutor that you would deny that the jury like denied the evidence or something like that. Um, yeah. I thought was ridiculous. And then he went on to talk about, um, you know, law enforcement and how he felt that it was an insult to claim that um, police officers have implicit bias and that they stand with law enforcement. So he basically did the same thing Donald Trump did. Like, I'm endorsing you all. Like, don't let these people accuse you of such and such. Um, and I, and then, yeah, they both did that. And I think Donald Trump was like, we don't need any diversity, equity and inclusion training or something as well. Um, so pathetic. What pissed me <laughs> off about both Kamala and Biden is that they also did this whole respectability politics thing that we know from our own experiences doesn't work. So they both, when it came specifically to um, any kind of, so like with Biden, when it came about like white supremacy and then with Kamala, when it came to um, Breonna Taylor, they both were so intentional of like, and of course we don't condone violence. And of course we don't, and it's like, Again, how are we doing this thing where we're policing how people are expressing, expressing, excuse me, like their emotions about their oppression? Like, I don't even know why that had to be brought into this at all. If you want to talk about not condoning violence, you should have said that when you were talking about specifically white supremacy, not BLM, or specifically or when you were talking about Breonna Taylor. Exactly. Like, it's insane. And so I think what I don't know, like that literally like just infuriated me. Um, and I, I don't know, I just, I think that it's just sad. Like it's, it's so sad how, in my opinion, like how that particular part played out. Um, but again, I wasn't surprised because it was so reflective of even again, like just making it more relatable to us. Like what I see in our field, like we have various Facebook groups of people who are 
um, seemingly trying to make a difference in whatever way I think they want to make a difference. Um, but these exact same conversations happen where um, we talk about people being murdered and we're talking about people um, experiencing whatever kind of injustice it is. Somehow we try to pacify that by like talking about you know, how people are supposed to protest it and how people are supposed to still show up to work every day in the midst of it and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, I don't know, I personally don't buy it. I, I, I have, I, and, it, and when I'm in Facebook groups of people who do do that, it just, I just, I can't, like I have to almost disengage or else I like be way too emotionally invested in it. Um, and I don't know, it just yeah. kind of makes me wonder, like if people understand, like there are so many qual like similar qualities between like what we're talking about, like sure we're talking about the debates, but like we're doing this within our own field about mm -hmm. our own, our own, you know? Yeah, like I feel like in the case with the debates, all the deflecting and all of the, you know, I'm not gonna, um, denounce white supremacy. I'm not gonna, you know, emphasize the unjust death of Breonna Taylor and all of these things. It's because they're trying to maintain the support of a particular group of people. Yeah. And in our conversations, whether it's like on Facebook or with your friends or with your family or whoever, you know, speaking up about um, Black Lives Matter or, um, you know, um, implicit biases of the police and different things like that also means that you're going to have to acknowledge a whole lot of other things, right? Like your behavior, your role as an individual, um, people that maybe you have not brought it to their attention, um, things that they've been doing. And the reality is so many people just don't want to do that, right? Yeah. Which is sad. Like they would rather... Um, what, which makes me sad a lot as well, because I'm like, why can't it just be, here's this woman that literally died sleeping in her bed at night. Like, why can't it just be like, let's speak up for her. Let's make it known how wrong and inappropriate this was. But um, it's become so ridiculously political and it can't just be like we've you know, a, a life was lost that should not have been lost and at the hands of law enforcement. Um, it's about my feelings and my family's feelings and, you know, our histories and all of these other things. Um, and I think if we look at history, like the whole conversation about the rioting and all of this stuff, you know, everyone likes to draw attention to that. I feel like that's a tactic as well, right? it's another deflection. Like let's draw attention to rioting and looting and all of these things, because then we don't have to talk about the original Why? problem. But well, that's what pisses me off with our field, because again, like we, we are a function based field in that like somehow though, even as analysts, we're, we're literally talking about, well, certainly they don't have to <laughs> behave that way. And it's like, much of our 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 jobs 
are literally about finding the function of these targeted behaviors that we probably want to see decrease. But before we start posing any kind of replacement behaviors or alternative behaviors or incompatible or whatever behaviors, we have to figure out the function of it to make sure that they're like functionally equivalent. Like, you know, and I just, I, I don't, I don't get it. And even with the, like going back to what you were saying, Mel, with like the, um, like then bringing up the whole, like not having like an implicit bias issue or not needing like racial and diversity and inclusion or whatever training that also brings me back to, I think how white our field at least is presumed to be in that like, it is still insane to me that we don't at the very least have to take CEUs about that. Like it's, it's insane. Like it's like if for nothing else, because of like our demographic that we tend to work with, like who who are not just all of one thing. Um, and then obviously within like our peers, like we're not all of just one thing. And I think what people don't understand is we as people of color um, in, in any other kind of marginalized community, we may not have to take a formal course on like how to assimilate to whiteness, but but we actually do. Like that's quite literally at the very least all of our formal education. <laughs> like we do not get taught about our actual history. We do not get taught about, um, I mean, quite literally anything besides American whiteness. <laughs> so it's crazy yeah. to me that it's as our adults, formal education. yeah, it's like our natural <laughs> environment training. <laughs> Like, it's crazy that as adults, people are like, no, I refuse to take like an hour or whatever, two hour training, <laughs> like to learn something about somebody else. But because I'm not wearing a KKK hat, surely I'm not racist. So I don't need that. And it's like, I just, <sighs> I don't know. I don't know. I, I think, I think the, the reality though, is that what we're seeing, um, in these debates and what we're kind of seeing right now in the political atmosphere is so prevalent to our field and is so prevalent to our coworkers and our community. And I think my hope is that like, you know, conversations like this help to really bring us back down to the reality of like, this is so much deeper than like Trump and Biden and Kamala and Pence, like we as a community, as an ABA community are actually engaging in these exact same behaviors all day, every day. Yeah, and at the end of the day, they're still human beings. So like, I know we referred to them a lot as like presidential candidates and all these things like during this conversation, but at the end of the day, they're still just human beings with opinions, with flaws, with, you know, and because they are in leadership, positions the ability to influence a whole lot of other people and a whole lot of other people's opinions um so yeah it is it's not like this these this conversation or like what was happening in the debates is any um different really from what we see at work from what we see at social media you know people speaking about things that um are important to them and then being told, you know, well, all lives matter or being interrupted because their opinion's not good enough or having to, you know, list your whole resume because someone doesn't think you're credible or yeah. like all of these things happen all the time. Um, yeah. So it was literally, a lot of it felt like watching 
a conversation at work. <laughs> yeah, legit. I feel like what's that saying where it's like art reflecting reality, but this wasn't art, like it was like real life <laughs> reflecting real life in that like we're just we're not yeah, like we're just not so far removed. And I think for me, I'm just so tired of trying to debate people that are just like dead set on not getting it. And I think that's where it kind of gets hard because it's like as behavior analysts, like we should um we should have, a, I believe, like some kind of standard when it comes to just how we treat other people. <laughs> like, and I, I feel like that's such like a cheesy way of saying it, but like literally like even people who deny the reality of um, police brutality, like we are a field that, um, we, we, we are held at, to some degree to a professional standard. Like we can't just go around like killing our clients whether mm-hmm. it's a quote unquote accident or not, like we, we just literally can't. And, and if we do, there are consequences, um, hopefully that punish that behavior. And it's just, it's strange to me that even that where it's like, how can we, we as people who are um, held accountable, hopefully so often, um, like when we make those kinds, when we, I don't know, do those kinds of um, behaviors, that like, again, like we don't feel like other people such as the police um, or doctors or whoever should also be held to that same standard. It's really kind of odd to me that like people don't see the reality of like, we can't just do, and we shouldn't be able to do, like we can't just do like whatever we want. Um, I think, I yeah, I feel like it's just a reminder that like we're not immune like behavior analysts are not immune to the principles of behavior. Like, exactly. you know, all, you know, your learning histories, whatever, you know, crappy learning histories you've had, <laughs> yeah. like they influence every decision you make. Um, and they influence your conversations with people. But I think what should be important, I think as a, as a behavior analyst, as someone in the field, is to continuously be learning at minimum, right? Like you can't go undo your whole history, but you should at least be committed to constantly like questioning yourself. That's like one of the first things you learn in like your first class in ABA, right? Like that's just like basic, basic science, right? You should always be analyzing what's going on. Um, and taking into consideration everything that's potentially influencing other people's behavior, influencing your behavior. Um, and yeah, it's um, like knowing the information's not enough, you know, like how people say that it's not enough to just know the information. Your history is always going to compete, you know, your family, people that are really close to you may always compete um there's always going to be conflicts happening but you can make a choice to like be committed to constantly like analyzing what's happening um and I don't know how many people have made that commitment I think that's what's so cool about ACT like I don't really know that much about ACT as you guys know I ask you all both questions about ACT all the time because I want to learn more about it but I think it actually reinforces being uncomfortable like it reinforces like that that's actually okay it's okay to be uncomfortable as you're growing and learning and I just 
I don't think that we're actually, I mean, literally whether we're like working out or whether we're, I don't know, trying to train for something, I don't know, whatever. I don't know if we're actually taught that discomfort, especially outside of like academia or what we're trying to like gain a degree or something is actually like a good thing. And so I think we, a lot of times we just do a lot of like avoidance behaviors and just escaping chain, you know, behaviors to, to try to avoid those feelings. I don't know. I'm sorry, Megan, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Oh, that's okay. Um, I was going to say what both of you were talking about with like the themes and analyzing that's what's come up for me a lot, both around the debates and like everything you all, the amazing points you're making right now over the past few months, especially I've been trying to figure out, you know, why are there some people, um, within our field or outside of it who seem to be more committed, um, or maybe have been for a while and are focused on disrupting these systems and like rec and, and you don't have to try to convince them that there's any issues that exist that need to be addressed. And then there's other people presented with that same information who, who don't, <laughs> who just like yeah. are like, no. And one of, one of the things I've noticed for myself, and I don't know, I was curious if either of you have noticed this at all. And I keep coming back to it is and it kind of ties in with act to kind of what people value. And I, I get the sense that for a lot of people, it's a thought exercise, like these conversations about whether racism is real, what, whether the police are brutal or not, or like if um, black and brown children are, you know, in, at an achievement gap in school, like all of those types of things, they, they don't take the time to even really learn about it. It's more of just like an ego type, like I'm going to show I'm smarter than you and like based off their learning history and all that kind of stuff, they're more concerned about their ego and they're like um, having that consistency and not engaging in that like cognitive um, dissonance, if you will, um, than they are about people. <laughs> so like when I think yeah. like for me, um, when like these issues come up, they, my, immediately my brain goes towards like that, that person, like, what must it be like to live that person's life? Like when, when you both are talking about how the debates landed for you and like having to show up to work the next day and like the extra stress and all of that kind of stuff, I'm like, that's horrible. Why would we want anyone to have to live through that? Right. But then it seems like there's this other group of people where like that doesn't probably even register for them and they're more stuck in like, well, that's not my history. And that so it goes into like the perspective taking thing, but also just more what you value. Like, do you value all humans having like a positive life experience? Um, or are you more valuing like your political party and your your ego and your learning history and all of this other kind of stuff? Um that was a really long rant, but my, what I wanted to circle it back around to is a, have y'all noticed that? And B, um, within our training programs, would it not be more important given what we know about implicit bias and all of those types of things, like other fields that provide services, like we do, like that are in the human service sector, they're taught, like if you do counseling or psychology or social work, they're taught, you need to recognize that you have biases and you need to be checking them. And you need to like do some work around that. And like our field isn't taught that. And it's also taught often like those things don't matter. They don't actually do because we're all just behavior. <laughs> right. So I know I just threw a lot out there, but. Yeah, um, it is so true. Like in, in, in a lot of ways we're taught from like our graduate programs and stuff 
to almost walk into these situations and completely ignore and disregard. Um, I mean, with the exception of ACT, right, which has gained a lot of popularity now, but I had no training in ACT in my graduate program. I hope people are getting that now. But um, yeah, like I definitely, I think at the beginning of my career as a BCBA, even before, um, my thought process in the way that I would look at um, you know, thoughts and feelings and, you know, things like having biases and opinions where, you know, oh, that's mentalistic. That's, um, I'm here to change the behavior, like, and that's it without realizing how all of that is part. And Skinner talked about this as well, like in his books. I don't know how we just like took that out, <laughs> um, <Yep>. you know, <laughs> um, but he did talk about it. Um, so yeah, um, that's really, really interesting. Like, I don't know, I don't know how we got here sometimes because I, like the field itself isn't like, you know, inherently, I think we've made it this way. Like, you know what I mean? I, I don't think that um, it's not ABA, right? It's the way that we've been behaving as a field and like what we've been choosing to apply and not apply and take into account and not take into account, which I think is changing now, hopefully. I think too, what, what we have to remember, what I have to remember is that at the end of the day, like we're all just people who um, just so happen to take on these jobs. And I think when I try to explain to people, if I decide to take the time to try to explain it to people, but like whatever, really when I try to explain to people like why I have the stance I do on, on like police brutality in particular, my stance on that is the exact same that I have on like um, the disproportionate rate of black women um, you know, being killed by doctors, especially like the, the, when, when they're pregnant and things like that, like in that it's not by itself, like obviously, well, I don't know if it's obvious, but we do know in the history of America, police, the whole job, that job was created to not, you know, do good things. And I'll just leave it at that. Anybody can research it. Um, but besides that though, like before I became a behavior analyst, like I was a black woman and before I became a behavior analyst, like I was a lesbian black woman. And so my experiences for sure, um, my, my job is like impacted by my experiences and like what all that means. So mm -hmm. I say all that to say that, like, I think sometimes I inappropriately like forget that. Like I expect people to be like, oh, but like you're, I don't know, you're a pastor. And it's like, yeah, but like, I'm also human or like you're a behavior analyst. Yeah, but I'm also human. And I have this this whole list of experiences you know that have impacted that and unfortunately the way that our country works with just like you know patriarchy and and capitalism and i don't know racism and all these other things and um it, the system was meant to be this way and i think that's the part when when you think about like for me like when i think about values and stuff like that unfortunately very few people may have like that kind of value that Megan you were describing when it comes to just like overall like human like life and like human just like good experiences because we all benefit unfortunately from other people being depressed or, or well, depressed too but oppressed <laughs> and so it's like 
we have to be willing to relinquish some of that in order to help people, um, you know, to also just have that, that life. And I just, I don't think people are like ready to do that. Um, Mm -hmm. And from a strictly like behavior perspective, like it makes sense. It's just really just messed up because again, like when you talk about like values and you talk about just all these private events that us analysts decide to kind of throw out the window, it's like, we shouldn't be okay with that. (laughs) Like people um, should be equal. People should have the same experiences. And I don't know, I just, it's disheartening. Yep. It is. So that kind of brings me around to one of the other things that I thought would be interesting to talk about today. Um, how do we get people there? <laughs> so, but, and part of it is like the disrupting the systems part. So obviously you all know from the last time that we met, um, it's been a few months or whatever. And there's been a lot of us white folks who are finally had our eyes opened and are trying to, you know, take more action and do things. Um, and I don't want to like make this about me or, or center the conversation around that. And, but I just wanted to bring it up since we're talking about like the things we're seeing, right? Like, so people making fun of um, or criticizing Kamala's facial expressions while Donald Trump can say and do whatever he wants, right? Um, And Donald Trump and uh, Mike Pence not denouncing white supremacy. And I, we didn't even talk about this when, when we were talking about it earlier, but I saw numerous posts where people were like, oh yeah, he has, he did. (laughs) <laughs> what world are you living in? Right. Yeah. So, right. So like, I, you know, uh, I, I've seen people whether of, you know, various, uh, whether it's, um, behavior analysts or any, anywhere like posting these types of things. And we all who are committed to trying to improve the situation here are working towards disrupting these systems are, you know, we read those things and want to hopefully like try to disrupt that conversation. Right. And, um, and I've seen some really good examples. So that's been helpful. I have a few Facebook friends who have modeled really well for me. I'll see them comment on other people's posts. I think two, two of you are two of them. (laughs) Um, and they'll say certain things that I still like skill set wise, like don't come to my head. Right. Like that's just not, my brain's not there yet. I don't have those skills yet. Um, but one of the things that I've been noticing that I'm doing is I'll read a post and, or, um, I guess it's mostly just reading posts. I haven't really had a whole lot of conversations with people during COVID. So I'll read a post and it says, you know, whatever, something like that. And I'll have some thoughts about things to say, but when I look at all of the comments on the post, it's all people agreeing with that person And it seems like it's some sort of vacuum there, right? So like anything that would come in to try to disrupt it, I'm nervous that like those people will just latch on to each other and like harden more on their views. Um, And even thinking of like questions to ask, like, you know, hey, I didn't, I didn't see you post anything like this when Trump was debating. I'm wondering why that is like even something as like minor as that based on what I'm reading in the comments. I'm like, there's no way that would like land for anyone in this thread. Right. Um, So I like as behavior analyst, I'm trying to think about like, how, how do we even tap in on like people who are in that space? Um, 
And then there's other people where it's like, you see kind of this mixture happening, but people, it's more of like a debate sort of thing. So maybe I will chime in at that point with a question then or something. Um, so I don't necessarily know where I'm going with this, but it's just something I've been noticing. Like there's, you know, this disrupting the systems piece, but how do, are there ways that we're going to do that, that just actually embolden the people that you're trying to help or, or shift what, you know, how they're seeing things. I actually saw a really good example of this. There's actually a behavior analyst and she did this with, I believe, COVID. So it apparently it was a bunch of people like on her timeline who were just committed to like all of these, you know, non-CDC opinions about if COVID essentially was fake. And quite literally this analyst, like, you know, all of those um, arguments, like the straw man's, what is it? Like the straw man's argument the other ones she literally like broke down and I'm not saying like you have to do this but she literally (laughs) was like okay so first of all that's not true but let me actually show you what you're actually doing and she literally like gave them like examples of like this is actually an example of the straw man's argument or whatever and what it seemed to be um at least from my perspective my like perception was that she wasn't doing this to prove to them that she was right she was only doing this to prove to them that not necessarily that they were wrong but that like this is the actual this is like an like a behavior that they're engaging in um i know for me when I, I get into facebook or internet arguments i want to be right and i know that the function of my behavior is 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 surrounding my need to be right and i think that's a problem. Like instead, what I probably need to like kind of shift my perspective and shift my function to be more of, I want to get like whatever this information is out there versus like me trying to prove a point. Because again, like there are just going to be some people who are just like dead set on just not like listening. Um, And so I don't know. I don't know if you're like that, but I am like, I'm very, I can be very, very argumentative. And I just like want you to know just how wrong you are. And it's like, sometimes that's not necessarily needed. Sometimes we just need to like drop our little bomb (laughs) and just kind of keep it moving. And literally like, I have to like turn off the comments, like the, or the um, notifications. Cause it's like, I don't, I just want to say what I want to say. And I just want to leave kind of thing. I don't know. Um, this is a tough one for me but I did listen I've listened to a couple like other podcasts and from people I really like that have kind of talked about this topic and like one of the things that I hear is just um about like having the conversation and maybe trying to see if you can help shift an opinion or whatever is I mean there has to be a sense of openness there like somewhere So kind of like gauging that. And I don't think that it means that not we're even attempting to say something after the conversation. You can, but then, I mean, you still have to assess like how things are going after you do that, right? Because there's no point in um, going back and forth with someone who's not even open to hearing what you have to say or is dead set on their opinion or dead set on like convincing you why they're right or whatever. Um, So I think like gauging that and I feel like there are people who've gotten to that point, right? Because like there are people who 
like I, I see some behavior analysts like taking um, trainings, whether it's an act or whatever to kind of talk about, like do a deeper dive internally on what their values are and um, ways, you know, kind of accepting the ways in which they may have been not in alignment with their values and different things like that. Um, and that's a lot of internal work that has to happen. Um, so I think just being open to it is like the, the main key, I think. Um, yeah, go ahead. I think it's also interesting too, because so from like what I see on my timeline, a lot of people have had, it seems like, um, have had to have some kind of degree of like a very short degree of separation from somebody in like one of these communities um, to kind of like get it. And I'm like, that's really, that's to me, again, like while apparently effective, that's sad. Like, I don't want to have to know um, like somebody who, I don't know, was like a victim of police brutality for me, like to be like, oh, they're a good person. <laughs> and so surely this is real. You know what I mean? Like, and I, 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 again, while that may be effective for some people, um, I don't know. I hope that that's not like a thing for everybody else. I will say too that like, depending what I've learned is like, depending on who it is that like I'm speaking to. So for example, if I talk about like my experiences as a black woman, because it's like me, like firsthand, I think people view that as more subjective. Um, somehow, if I talk about my experiences as a lesbian though, they don't see that as subjective which that's a whole different conversation about how that identity is far more appreciated and reinforced than my black one. Um, but what I was gonna say is oftentimes if I'm like advocating on the behalf of somebody else who like I don't look like or who I don't share like that identity with, somehow I'm more believable. <laughs> and so I don't know if your timeline will receive you the same way in that like if you're not talking about maybe like your experiences like a white woman, maybe they'll believe you more, but like, I don't know. That's so interesting to me because I'm the opposite in how I perceive things. Like I'm going to be more willing or not more willing, but like if somebody, regardless of whatever like identity they have was like dropping a bunch of research articles or things like that right now, at least for where I am on things, if a, if a person from the marginalized group that was being studied came in with their subjective experience, I would be much more like, I'm going with you right? Same. Like that research is crap. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. Um, you know, again, it brings it back to like the values and I guess what people are valuing and like, is it even possible on a Facebook situation? I'm not saying it's not possible, but on Facebook, for example, is it even possible to make that big of a shift? Like we're, for at least from what I'm observing, it seems that um, there needs to be some values work. Like you were mentioning Melody, whether it's each individual person or like the people you're trying to, you're observing these, uh, potentially, um, harmful statements from like, it's almost like they would need to be part of a group where they're doing that values work. And then it's coming in like, well, and how does that align with <laughs> these other things over here? Like a flyby comment on Facebook, if their values don't seem to be clarified or like even close to being in line with recognizing how harmful those things are, I just, I'm not saying don't do it, but I'm, that's kind of just like the random thoughts I'm having about these things. Like it just is highlighting for me how much more work there is 
to be done, which I'm sure you both were well aware of, <laughs> but yeah. Um, yeah. I think you're also right. I don't think that people really think about the thing. Like, so I think it was an undergrad, like I was a gender and women's studies minor. And I think like the quote of that department at that time was don't believe everything you think. And like, I, I just don't think we're actually taught to think about our thoughts. And so like, there's so many times where sometimes like you just, I, I, for me, I, like, I literally read things and I'm like, how on earth do you like really think this way or like how do you really like believe this and I I can I can totally understand um that feeling of like well what do I do if like everybody on this post feel this feels this way there's definitely spaces that I'm in where it seems like everybody you know has one set of thoughts and beliefs and I'm and I, I really do if I'm being completely honest I have to force myself to 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 really push aside my discomfort or to work through my discomfort and still say whatever it is that I feel like is right. Because I would want somebody to do that. If somebody was talking about like me and my marginalized identities, um, I don't know if it's, it definitely isn't always like effective in that, like, it's not always, I think received well, but in my mind, I can at least like rest easily knowing that like I did my part. Um, But that's hard. Like arguably that's hard. Anything to add, Melody? Um, no, not much. Um, yeah, I agree with everything that you said, Camille. Um, and you as well, Megan. I think um, the values thing is, is a, it's a lot of work. Like, it's a lot of personal, like, no one else can do it for you. Like there's no certification you can get for doing that or like a degree or whatever. Like it's really deeply personal work. Um, yeah, I'd almost like rather recommend like books and resources for people to like start to do that work on their own. But um, yeah, it's so personal that you can't help someone. I mean, you could you could guide them to it, but it's still work that they're going to have to like really, really do on their own. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I agree. Well, was there anything else around the election debates or um, content that we had brainstormed about talking about that we didn't touch on? I feel like we touched on a lot of the different things. Um, Can I say one thing that I think may sound kind of mean, but like, I really mean this. It like really irks my nerves. So apparently there's like a whole bunch of cups and like merch of like this whole I'm speaking. Um, And ironically enough, but unsurprisingly, it's just a lot of like white women who are purchasing these things. And like, I really just want to note that like, there was a white woman that maintained the behavior that Kamala was like, like trying to bring attention to. And so like, I just really want us to be very, very careful, myself included, cause not to say that like, just because I'm black, that like all the things that like Kamala did right, that like I just inherently do. But I just really want us to really be careful um, while we're trying to like ride this wave of, of um, whatever our opinions are about these things. So like really just kind of evaluate like our own behaviors and really see like, 
in what point of our life were we like a Pence? At what point of our life were we like the moderator? At what point of our life were we like Kamala in that? Like, but like, don't think like, again, like myself included that just because we're women that we just automatically were like the Kamala or, you know what I mean? Or just cause it's just simply not the case. Unfortunately, off, more often than not, I think, especially in the workplace, my experiences has been that like white women in particular have maintained a lot of my oppression. Um, and so I just really want us to just be like careful. And, and again, like do some of that like self-reflection and that, and that values work, especially before we decide to go like buy merch just to post on the internet to make ourselves seem like woke. Yeah. It's just like my two cents on that. And on a momentary basis, right? Like I love one of the things Ibram Kendi talks about like being an anti-racist is you're not ever just a racist or just an anti-racist. You have to constantly be evaluating yourself in context and situations and conversations. And then any behaviors that you do in any given moment could, could make you one or the other, which is kind of like what we were talking about before with the like constant evaluation part that we should be doing, especially as behavior analysts. Yeah. Um, I think, didn't, wasn't there something similar to that? Um, I saw people talking about too, and these are the types of things like point be like, uh, everybody, um, was posting about Kamala saying I'm speaking. And as a white woman, like I hadn't even recognized the moderator thing until one of my other friends posted about it, which was probably a black woman. Like I didn't, that didn't even like register for me, but that's why it's important to like be evaluating these things and thinking about that kind of stuff. I think something similar happened with the, um, with the Trump Biden debate too, when Chris Wallace, you know, the white supremacy question, I, I saw people pointing out that like, yes, Trump didn't denounce white supremacy clearly, but neither Chris nor Biden really like went in on that either. Yep. And like made a stink about it. Like they should have. Mm -hmm. I think too, like, Again, this is more, I guess, like mentalistic or whatever, but I do think we should take into account, like oftentimes, like at the root of like defensiveness tends to be like other feelings. So like I personally, and my God, you can ask my spouse, like I just am, I can be very, very defensive. Like I just can't, I really can be. But it's like at the end of the day, like when I actually evaluate, like what is bringing me to that defensiveness Oftentimes it's less about like me being like proven to be wrong. And it's more about like what I have learned that being wrong actually means, especially when it comes to certain topics. And so again, like, I think like going back to like what you guys were saying and like you guys, like in the ACT community, how you all advocate for really just this internal constant work that I just, I, I hope and like pray that like more people can really embody yeah. And even like nothing about what you said is mentalistic because yeah, true. <laughs> there's a quote that I really like that's, um, um, I don't know who says it, but the quote is all behavior makes sense in the context in which it occurs. So like, even if you're like really defensive, um, not, and that doesn't mean that it's right or wrong. Like we're not saying that, you know, oh, well, white supremacists make sense. Like, you know, you can just be racist. That's not what that means, but 
when you look at why and learning histories and like all of these things that we just talked about, like peers and family members or whatever, um, it makes sense why they're doing what they're doing. Is it right? We still have to like advocate against it and all of this stuff. Yes. Um, so yeah, it's just my thought. I'm going to like Google that quote. I just wrote it down because I'm like, I need, I need to like hang this somewhere. That's, a, I, that's so true though. Yeah. And Skinner said it too. The rap. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Very true. Melody coming in strong with the quotes today. <laughs> <laughs> there was like a few that I like wrote down. I was like, okay, I got a quote Mel on this. <laughs> I wrote down one of yours too from the, um, I don't remember what you said. Don't believe what you think. I love that one. Yeah. That don't trips me up often. I'm like, yeah. why do I think this way? <laughs> Well, it was, it's been great talking with you both about um, a wide array of things around the debates, the election and behavior analysis. Uh, any other closing thoughts or points that we wanna touch on before we close out? I think the, the last and final thing it, that we had talked about was just kind of being aware when you're watching these things, like try not to see them as just happening in a vacuum and like really try to consider functions of why people are saying things. Um, there's not really, I mean, I don't think any of us have really any answers, like how, how this is going to like affect the election or whatever. I mean, we're all really sharing our opinions, but at the very least at the end of the day, like keeping that awareness about you, like in all of these contexts, right? Whether you're watching a debate or having a conversation being able to take a step back from that and kind of look at functions and look at your behavior, doing your own internal evaluation, like looking at the other person and what's going on with them as best you can, right? Your, your learning history and all of that stuff is still gonna get in the way when it does. Um, and make that commitment to be a behavior analyst all the time, not just with your children with autism, but everywhere. And unless you Unless the type of behavior analyst you're trying to be is the one that thinks this stuff doesn't matter. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> that biases right. don't exist and it's all uh, mentalistic. <laughs> so right. true. I feel like this conversation has really made me realize um, even more that like as a profession, I just wish, I, I hope that like we can branch out to other things. Like quite literally, we could be like political, what are they called? Like political commentators, like, but like we could be like a behavior analyst, political commentator or whatever. And that like, really, like, I think, I, I really hope that one of the points that people also take away from this is that again, like behavior is everywhere. Like we're not the study of one diagnosis. Like we're the study of, of behavior. And when we really should, you know, like you guys are both saying, always be like constantly learning and constantly trying to analyze like first our own behaviors and our own functions and all that and then trying to um you know like help hopefully make the world a better place as cheesy as that sounds um so yeah you know camille i think you're onto something there you could start you know maybe doing two episodes of your podcast or something <laughs> and one of them could be a behavior analytic commentator i think <laughs> that's 
My husband idea. was watching like something after the debate last time, some nonverbal expert that was breaking down like the nonverbal yeah. stuff. So you could be yes. like, analytic. I, I think I know yeah. what you're talking about. Like that's Did like that. I didn't look at it because I was a little annoyed. I thought he was probably watching something about Kamala's facial expression. <laughs> I was just like, I'm not, I don't know. I'm not, we've already had a lot of discussions. So I was just not in a place to go down that road. So I, he just told me what he was watching and I was like, okay. <laughs> well, there's like, what is that fake show? Not fake. It, what is a fake show that used to be on Lie to Me? And I think and a lot of what he did was about like nonverbal or nonvocal like communication and like studying that. And I think we're onto something. Here we go. <laughs> uh, all right. So we will go ahead and close out. And we did talk about potentially doing a part three follow up. I, I don't know if we like maybe sometime after the election. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> How we want to do be that. Interesting. But, um, that's one closing thought I have is hopefully everyone is voting um, this year, especially I know that there's people who think they don't need to vote because the system or like, you know, they don't um, like how our two party system is set up or whatever, but you're, you know, it, it's, this is real impacts on real people you hopefully care about that are happening. And um, to, I'm not obviously going to tell you who to vote for or anything, but it's, it's a unique um, election. I know every election is unique, but this one is especially, and I hope people even who haven't voted in the past will consider what impact they could have with that. Yeah. yeah. Are you absentee voting, uh, Melody, from uh, the UAE? Yes. Good. I have voted. I am good to go. And I was I, I was going to say something inappropriate, but I, I will keep it to myself. <laughs> I was going to tell people who to vote for. <laughs> so, like, go, I think everyone probably is listening to this would know. <laughs> <laughs> don't vote for Trump. <laughs> he, he, do not vote for Trump. <laughs> yeah, for real though. Like for real. Get him out of there. <laughs> um, if you all haven't had a chance to check it out yet, Camille does have her amazing podcast that goes weekly. I don't even know how you do that, but um, it's. I'm gonna get it messed up. Sex is sex at the beginning. What's the three words? Love, sex, and applied um, behavior analysis. Um, sex and, I listen to it, but I, it's just so, um, so it's great. I love all your little like bits in there and it has such a great format. So um, hopefully I'll Thank put that you. in the show notes for people to check out and we'll do our part three on there. And Melody, we had talked about trying to do a, some, some sort of a webinar with Do Better Soon. So hopefully that'll come out. And I, um, I know you've been doing your yoga stuff, but I don't know if you want to want me to put any yeah. info in the um, notes? I try to do them weekly. I mean, I have an Instagram, mellow and chill, M-E-L-O and chill. Uh, that's where I usually post every now and then when I'm not busy, but I try to kind of get into a regular schedule. Yep. Yoga um, act is really important to me. So if anyone is interested in any of that stuff, they can of course reach out. And even if you're not, if you're a yoga novice, I've done um, one of Melody's classes. I'd like to do more, just my schedule hasn't. And you're just amazing. Like you keep it. So I did the restorative flow and it was so well laid out and I didn't ever feel like I couldn't do anything that you were demonstrating even or leading us through, even though like I don't do yoga that often. And it was very restorative. So 
greatly. That's good to that. know. I'm so intimidated by yoga, but I really want to try it. And I'm like, can I do it with my camera off? Like if I yeah, sign in? I, yeah, I had Thank mine you. off. Taylor was crawling all over the place and being super loud. And it was like. <laughs> <laughs> have to check that yeah. out. All right. Well, thank you. Both. I would love to have you both. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Go forth on your quest and do better.